Last week we talked about how the greatest parts of God's character and his promises are by his own words, immeasurable and beyond our natural understanding. But we're also told that God wants us to know him and have a relationship with him. And to that point, he wants us to pursue an understanding of the attributes that at first pass may not make sense to us, right? Think about it. How are we to love one another and ourselves as he loves us if we can't make sense of how or why he loves us or how much that is, you know, that he would give his only son, that he would love us beyond measure, that he would separate us in immeasurable ways, infinite amounts from our sins and, and discretions and, and, and discretions. And so he wants us to understand it because he wants us to succeed. He wants us to know him. And during the first part of this message, which was last week, we dug into how the Bible helps us make sense of these by providing allegories and parables and metaphors that guide the reader to an understanding by associating this intangible characteristic, right? How do you describe immeasurable love, right? Or unending faith. But to put that into something relatable and known in the day, and the Roman centurion's armor was one example. The responsibility of the shepherd was another one. The common staple of bread are just a few examples that scripture used to help us understand things in a tangible way. Now, we don't still have... You know, the, the centurion on the corner, so we can't look at his armor, but we can still kind of picture that. And we sort of understand the role of a shepherd, but as we dive into it, then we certainly understand the role of the shepherd and the sheep. But this week, we're going to look at another way that these characteristics of God and the affirmation of his loving promises are revealed to us. And that is through our personal experiences with him and, and his work around us, the things we actually see and witness and experience. And I want to start by putting a couple cringy words out there. Cringy is kind of a, I don't know, I'm way too old to use that term, aren't I? Um, these words are like, like that. But testimony and witness, right? I don't, I don't know about you, but I think of legally as like, oh, I have to testify. I have to be a witness. That just seems cross-examination, right? But, and we, we know like the, the, the definition of these words, the, the, the um, dictionary definition is like uh, someone who witnesses is someone who gives evidence, Right. Um, they they might be there to witness a transaction as a, a third party to, to to be able to testify that something has taken place as it should have or um, it's something that you might have personal knowledge of something or maybe it's a public affirmation by word or example. And, and a lot of this is what we think about when we talk about testifying or giving witness to our faith is it's a public affirmation through our words or, or our actions of of this. But to act as a witness, to the verb is, is basically to testify, to speak out, to act as, as a legal witness or to furnish proof or, or what I like is to have a personal or direct knowledge of something, right? To see it for yourself. I witnessed that happen, right? I witnessed Chiefs win the Super Bowl. I didn't watch it on TV. But those kinds of things, right, that, that you witnessed and you saw it, you know it because you were there. But when we look at the biblical definition we learn that the word testimony in Hebrew, and it's been a while since I've done my Hebrew, is iduth, iduth, which means do it again with the same power and authority, okay? So to give our testimony about our experience with anything, but certainly with God, isn't just telling a story. Oh, God got me through this. God got me through this. Rather, it's about sharing the deepest level of excitement, of pain, of passion, of power, 
of that experience. Every single time you share that story, you still have it, right? You're, you're telling it again with the same power and authority, right? You, you can't just say you just had to be there and, and blow it off. You strive to help the purpose, person understand because you were there, you felt this, and I want you to feel how awesome this was, how peaceful it was, or how terrible this was. But this happened. And the result of this is life-changing when we, when we testify or when we witness these things. And I don't want to overuse that word because it's still a little cringy. Uh, but listen to what the psalmist did with this from Psalm 22. He says, I will praise you to all my brothers. I will stand up before the congregation and testify to the wonderful things you have done. Right? Does that sound powerful? Does that sound like a boldness, a courageousness, a, a you know, a confidence? Another one, come and listen, all you who fear God. Now this is, right, that you respect God, not afraid of God. All you who fear God, and I will tell you what he did for me. Listen, come here. I want to tell you this stuff. My tongue will declare your righteousness and praise you all day long. How about this from Daniel 4.2? I want you all to know about the miraculous signs and wonders the Most High God has performed for me. Don't keep this stuff to yourself. Psalm 22, I will tell my people what you have done. I will praise you in their assembly. I will come and I will gather the people and I'll tell you. And that's really a part of, of the praises and prayer requests that we share is, is it's also some of the good news. Look at what God has done. And, and if you're like me and you keep the bulletins and you pull them out after a while and you're like, wow, God's answered some amazing prayers. He's even done some that in, in better ways than we thought. And, and I love the story of, of uh, Kelly Lou, who... who um, Vicki Bird has us pray for regularly, and we don't get updates as often because things have been going so well. But what an answered prayer. This, this infant who had this horrible cancer is, is now two, three years old and is living a normal childhood with for hopefully no recollection of all that she had gone through. What a powerful testimony of the way God has worked in that child's life. But think about the testimony of John the Baptist. This is found in John 1, 31 through 33. He says, I myself did not know him, speaking of Jesus before that moment, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Now here's where it gets good. It says, then John gave this testimony. He says, I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. This is his testimony. He's not saying, I did it. I wasn't the one. I wasn't the dove. God. He said, I experienced this. And, and, and that was a life-changing moment for John the Baptist, who spent really the bulk of his ministry not pointing people to himself but to God. And, and, and that became his testimony. And that became part of Jesus' testimony because this had been witnessed and seen and experienced. And when it comes to witnesses, and especially in the legal sense, there, there are four types of witnesses. And I had to look this up outside the Bible, but I find this to be true. It says there, there's the expert witness, the eyewitness, the character witness, and the fact witness. And when you experience God working in your life, you essentially feel all of these types. The expert witness is, is the one that, that is speaking about a specific area of expertise. Now, they may not be a part, like if you're speaking in a legal sense, I did not see this happen. But I know how this works because I am an expert in the field of. Well, no one knows you or your situation better than you do, other than God, of course. You are an expert on what is happening because it is your life that is being affected. 
you are an expert witness on your situation. Even if it feels like it's out of control, which it may be, you are an expert witness on that. Your testimony is power because I am going through, I have gone through, I feel. There's the eyewitness. This isn't about being an expert. This is the, I was there and I saw what had happened. This is like what John saw, right? I saw this happen. I saw the dove. I heard the voice. I am an eyewitness. You're an eyewitness. You can give an eyewitness account to the way God is working in your life and the life of those around you. And the character witness, I love this, right? It speaks about the character nature of someone, not the event. No, I wasn't there when this happened, but let me tell you what I know about so-and-so. And let me tell you about the character. Everything God has done has made you a character witness. You know, God may reveal through his, his word in scripture, which is very important to be reading and studying, but he also reveals to you his character. How do I know God's faithful? It's not just because I read it, not just because the Bible tells me so. I've seen him be faithful to me. I've been seeing him be faithful to people in and around my life. You know, even sometimes, especially in times when we don't deserve it, but God has been faithful. He's pursued us. He has not given up on us. He's not forgiven us. That reveals character. We can say things like, I know that God is good because. I know that God is faithful because. I know that God loves me because. I know that God is good because, right? I said that twice. The fact witness. These are the ones that just, this is the fact. This is what happened. And this is the one where our our factual mind gets messed up. I knew that my marriage was over. I I knew that I may not survive this diagnosis or this disease. I decided that I would never change it. They would never change, right? These are our, our fact witnesses. And this is where God likes to go, you think that's reality? Mm-hmm. Remember my character? Okay, because so I'm gonna need you to be an expert on what's about to happen in your life because I'm about to do some stuff. That's what God says. And they become powerful and undeniable parts of, of a testimony <coughs> that establish value and validity to the experience being shared. But that did not keep the Pharisees from, from trying to discredit Jesus' testimony right? He was an expert. He was an expert on the law, certainly an expert on his own life, expert in, in who his father was. He was an eyewitness. He was a part of these things. He was speaking to his own character. People would speak to his character. And yet the Pharisees would, would often trap him and, 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 and question and discredit him. So here's John 8, 12 through 14. It says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but we'll have the light of life. And it says the Pharisees challenged him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You know, who makes you the expert on what I'm talking about? I know why I'm here. I know that God loves me. I know who I am. And listen to Jesus' other response to the text on his testimony. He says, you are Israel's teachers, said Jesus, right? The Pharisees were supposed to be the teachers of the law. And you do not understand these things? For very truly I tell you, we speak out of what we know and we testify to what we've seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. Then, then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? You know, the Bible records many, many testimonies of encounters with God, many. And I'm going to share just three with you, but I want to challenge you to find others during your reading time this week. I think one of importance is is the woman at the well. 
And the story of the woman at the well is found in John 4. And I'm going to begin at verse 7. And if you'd like to open your Bible, it's John 4, verse 7 through 29. And then I'll pick up again at 39. It says, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? And it says, His disciples had gone in town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now, there's some biblical history and context that comes into play here, but, but I'm going to press on. Since Jesus answered it, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would, have not, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? as did also his son and his livestock. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. Now here's the interesting part. Verse 17, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you were right when you said you have no husband. The fact is you have five, you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus said, woman. Now remember, this is not a derogatory term. He's, he's getting her attention, woman. Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Verse 27, we find that, that she continues this conversation. The disciples return. But, but what's interesting is, is she goes on and she leaves the jar there. She, she drops what she's doing and she runs to town and she tells everybody what she's done. It says, then leaving the, her water jar, the woman went back to town and said, people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they didn't believe her. But what's interesting is, is her, her testimony became that she stirred up within other people this curiosity about this man who knew these things. That, that, um, that only that the, a prophet or the Messiah could know about her. There is uh, another, prophecy, uh, another testimony um, that, that certainly that you have to consider, and that's Paul's. And on six different occasions, at least six, but six that I counted, uh, during Paul's third journey, he stood before different crowds and he presented Christ to them. Six times he stood up there by himself. Six times he addressed unbelievers, skeptics. Many of them were hostile and rude to him. Six times he offered his personal testimony. That's what he came to arm with. This is my story. And each time he spoke, he simply shared a story about how God had changed his life. Not once did he argue or debate with them. He didn't preach them a sermon. He did do that other times, but not in these cases because he knew that one of the most convincing and unanswerable arguments that a person could have is their story. 
your own personal experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and if you look at Acts 21 and 22, it's one of these times when, when Paul was arrested and he shares his story. And it's quite lengthy. I'm just going to encourage you to read it on your own. Acts 21, uh, beginning at verse 33. But what's really interesting is as he's sharing this, this story, and, and we're generally familiar with it, he was a persecutor of the Jews. He was a Jew. And, and he was sent to, to do something, and Jesus basically intervened. And, and that became, this interaction became his testimony. But I'm going to skip ahead to after he'd been arrested, and, and he's before Agrippa. And this starts in Acts 26. And I'm going to read it from the message. The only reason I'm reading it from the message, it's a paraphrase. So it comes off as a story. And since this is Paul's story, I'm going to kind of read it in that spirit. Beginning in verse 26 of Acts, uh, verse 1 of Acts 26. says, Agrippa spoke directly to Paul. Go ahead, tell us about yourself. Again, real loose paraphrase. Paul took the stand and told a story. He said, I can't think of anyone, King Agrippa, before whom I'd rather be answering all these Jewish accusations than you, knowing how well you are acquainted with Jewish ways and all your family quarrels. From the time of my youth, my life has been given, lived among my own people in Jerusalem. Practically every Jew in town who watched me grow up, and if they were willing to stick their necks out, they'd tell you in person, knows that I lived as a strict Pharisee. That's a story. I know it. I studied it. I lived it. The most demanding branch of our religion is because I believed it and took it seriously, committed myself, heart and soul, to what God promised my ancestors, the identical hope, mind you, that the 12 tribes have lived for night and day all these centuries. It's because I have held on to this tested and tried hope that I'm being called on the carpet by the Jews. They should be the ones standing trial here, not me. For the life of me, I can't see why it's a criminal offense to believe that God raises the dead. Right? This is his testimony. Verse 9 says, I admit that I didn't always hold to this position. For a time, I thought it was my duty to oppose this Jesus of Nazareth with all my might. Back with the full authority of the high priest, I threw these believers. I had no idea they were God's people. It says, I threw them into Jerusalem jail right and left. And whenever it came to a vote, I voted for their execution. I stormed through their meeting places, bowling them into cursing Jesus. One man terror obsessed with obliterating these people. I love the paraphrase of the message. Is it scriptural? But, but can you hear Paul telling this story? I mean, this is his story. Like, I just stormed through their tents, and I threw them in jail, and I voted for him to die, and I made him curse. I was a one-man terror, obsessed with obliterating these people. And then I started on the towns outside Jerusalem. He says, one day I was on my way to Damascus, armed as always with the papers from the high priest authorizing my action. Right in the middle of the day, a blaze of light, light outshining the sun, poured out of the sky on me and my companions. Oh, king, it was so bright. We fell flat on our faces. Then I heard a voice in Hebrew say, Saul, Saul. That's, that was his name. Why are you going out to get me? Why do you insist on going against the grain? I said, who are you, master? The voice answered, I am Jesus, the one you're hunting down like an animal. But now up on your feet, I have a job for you. I've handpicked you to be a servant and witness to what's happening today and what I'm going to show you. And, and I'm going to cut it short here, but he basically took... Paul or Saul's sight and he told him here's what you need to do and you need to go to this town and, and meet this man and, um, and this is what you're going to say and this is what's going to happen and Paul going on talking to King Agrippa and telling his story of how this happened just as it would have said and he, and he wraps up by saying you know what I was the fiercest of 
the, the Jews. I mean, I was going to, and the Pharisees, I was going to uphold the law because that's what God told me to do. And he goes, but I was wrong. I was misled. I, I was mistaken. That's not God. God is the one who met me on the road that literally opened my eyes. And that was his testimony. And that became so powerful that he, you know, he ended up writing the majority of the New Testament, of the, the books of the Bible. He went from to trashing this life to living one. And all along the way saying, do as I'm doing, modeling Jesus, not after myself. And even warn people. Philippians 3, 4 talks about, you know, I will consider it loss. All the stuff that I've done, I would, that's, it doesn't count. It's garbage. It says it's, it's, it's garbage for what I know now about the truth. And he says, you will be persecuted as I have. Doesn't sound very encouraging, but that's a part of a story. And, and Paul's story of, of conversion from persecuted apostle, it's literally beating and arresting Jesus' followers to become one of the most prolific teachers of his ministry. He's credited with writing, like I said, a majority of the accounts of the New Testament. We study these thousands of years later. The, word, um, the world has benefited from the sharing of testimonies like Paul's, like the woman at the well like many others, like John the Baptist. But we know, we know God hasn't stopped working in the world. We know that. We see him doing that. We hopefully give him credit for all the wonderful things he's done and continues to do. So just as it was important for those people to share their, moan, their testimony, we must as well. In fact, maybe it's more so important now because as, as we're seeing this pandemic and, and, you know, for a period churches were shut down and churches are struggling still to get people, you know, back in the doors um, with civil unrest, with financial insecurities, with moral decline, with, with you know, like I said, the, the, the slump in church attendance. These are, these are things. Our story is more important now than ever. And no one can tell it like you. You are your witness. And I'm not going to tell you what to say. There's studies on that, and we can do that some other time. I can coach you up and all that. What's important is you just, you have it to share. Your story in your own words. You know, they're saying things, well, don't use the churchy, cringy words. You know what? Just tell your story. Tell your story. Uh, you know, I've shared mine before, and, and it, it's amazing what God has done in my low moments. He's done in, in high moments and just made them better because there was more to be done. And sharing our testimony, our story with others is a must. We, when we give our testimony, we, we tell the world how much we trust God, how much we love Jesus, and, and how much uh, he means to us. We're sharing with others different events that lead up to our salvation or for the reason that we have hope, the reason that we think prayer is important, the reason we think it's important to do things for others. This all plays into this, the, to, to create our story. And by doing so, testimony becomes a, a form of praise and honor to God. We also use it as a way to encourage one another. Every time you're going through trials and suffering, it's an opportunity to share your story or, or have someone share those with you. And, and this week alone, we've heard opportunities where someone has connected with another person and said, I know where you're at. I've been there. I've done that. I've, I've felt this, you know, gone through this diagnosis. I've gone through this struggle, you know. And if nothing else, you saw that they survived. That's a part of the story. And testimony, your witness, your story is not about just what you say. It's the way you live your life. And that becomes your story for others. 
you know, there's some, some kind of cliched quotes that I do want to share them because I, I think they're good. So one says, your story is the key that may unlock someone else's prison, right? You will survive it. You will get through it. How about only God can turn a message, mess into a message. You probably heard that. A test into a testimony. A trial into a triumph. A victim into a victory. Absolutely. Time and time again, and I don't mean just in this book. I mean in our life. So Jesus tells us, use your life as a testimony. Skeptic and, and critics and others will look closely at the life of a Christian or, or someone that they're, they're kind of curious about, like this woman at the well. You know, they're, they're curious about this man. And if, if Jesus hadn't been who he said he was and they went and hear his teaching, and they would have like, no, not only is, is that not true, but I don't want a part of this Christianity thing, right? So people look at how we live our lives and how we face things, and, and it can go either way. It can be like, wow, they're going through a lot of stuff right now, but they've got this piece that I, I just don't understand. How do I get that? Or they're strong, right? Everybody said, oh, I, I, I couldn't handle what you're handling. Those people, are they might be broken on the inside. But people, we look at, at others and, 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 you know, we can either want to be like that or not. And, and I think one time, and maybe it's been a couple years ago, I played the song from the group Enya. Remember Enya? And, and you're sitting there listening, like, oh, that's beautiful. And you're like trying to sing the words, like, I don't even think that's English. You're kind of leaning, we're leaning, leaning into this and like, because if you hear something beautiful, if you see or witness something beautiful, you want to lean in. You want to understand it. You do. And so when you're going through these trials, as crummy as they may feel for you, you know, people are going to want to go, you know what? I want to encourage them. I, I, I see that the strength they're facing. I don't want to go for that. I wish they weren't going themselves. But what is it about their faith that, that makes this so tolerable? And we've seen it in this room, these kinds of things. I love this quote from John MacArthur. It says, you are the only Bible that some unbelievers may ever read. It's sad, but isn't that true? Everything I know about Jesus is because I watch you. That's what I'm paraphrasing that. Boy, what does that tell people? What does that tell you about the importance of the way we conduct ourselves? The world may seem dark, but you are the light of the world. It may seem, it's not something that you're supposed to be trying to do. It is what you are. That's been proclaimed for you by Jesus. So don't assume the testimony point of change is this, you know, it was, it, it, it is. It is when you were baptized or when you accept Jesus. That is a part of your story. That is a life-changing moment. That is undeniable. But along their way, there's these other moments that become a part of your story, life-changing. And I can name four or five in my own, you know, the life-changing moments. And, and they aren't always good. In fact, Sunday mornings, we're, we're, we're doing that study, uh, the aha. The, like, it's the aha moments. It's based on the book by, by Kyle Eidelman. And it talks about these moments when you make a real, realization or something happens, like, aha, I get it. And, and these are part of your story. And they may be about how God got you through something that is completely you know, separate from, from the moment you were baptized or whatever it is. So don't think that that is the only story you have to tell because you're living the other part of your story. And if you haven't gotten to the point where you've made that decision to accept Jesus or been baptized, that doesn't mean God's not working through you or on you right now. I promise you. And if he has, that doesn't mean he's done with you either. But we use these moments, these, these sufferings and these victories both 
to give a testimony. So, so don't be ashamed of a gospel that saved you from some of the darkest moments in your life and the things that most, uh, you know, might be embarrassing to you because God is using that for his good. That's the promise. Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone that believes. It's Romans 1.16. So I want to issue a challenge to us this week. I want you to think about what is your testimony? What is your story? If you were on an elevator and someone asked you a point blank direct question, probably not going to happen, but shame on us if we're not ready for this, right? What is your story? And don't assume that it is just a miraculous moment or the mountaintop moment. It might be a valley. It might be both. I have both in my life. Some of the greatest moments and God made them better. I had some other moments where I was at the bottom and then God got me through them. Think about what that is. What is that moment that is a part of your story that makes you who you are in your faith walk and what that can mean to someone else. And then Take advantage of an opportunity to share it if you're given one. That's a challenge because it takes a lot of courage to walk across a room to answer that question, especially when you don't know how it's going to be received. But scripture is very clear. God is very clear on this, right? Always be prepared for the root to give reason for the hope that you have. And it's not just about him. It's about the other two people in that conversation. It's a good affirmation for you, right? Anybody else need to be reminded from time to time? What about that other person? Some of, they may need to hear. You may be the key that unlocks whatever that prison is they're feeling at that moment. Whatever it may be. Whatever it may be. I want to challenge that to you. Let's, let's make that our prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, how do we make sense of you? You love us literally beyond measure. You you. you Cast away our sins so far as the east is from the west. That's infinite. You were here before creation. You will be here beyond our days. How do we make sense of that? How do we rationalize that? And there are some things that you are very clear it's not for us to understand. But you also tell us you want a relationship with us. You want us to to be godly, to act Christ-like. And so we have an obligation to understand you in this way. How can I love others beyond measure? How can I forgive them as far as the east is from the west? Right? How can I invest in a life that didn't start on this date and end on this date, but is forever in your presence? Lord, so you've given us tools. We've talked about the last two Sundays. You've given us your word through scripture. You've given us examples. You've given us Jesus' teachings. You've given us parables and metaphors. And, and, and we, we put this in, in, and we try to understand it and the limits of our human mind. But you do something so much greater. You give us experiences with you. We can look back on miraculous moments that we've experienced or, or we've witnessed in the lives of those around us. We, and these aren't just miraculous healings. Sometimes they're just miraculous forgiveness. When we've blown it so much, we can't even stand ourselves. But you say, I love you. I forgive you. And when we understand that or when we start to grasp that, then we can understand that we can turn to the person on our left, on our right, and say, I love you. I forgive you. Heavenly Father, this is a challenge. This isn't something we're going to pick up in 28 minutes and, and, and have it nailed down. So, Lord, you... Just as we said in our responsive reading, we got to pick up this cross daily. 
Every day we need to be reminded. And just the same way we need, every day we need to go to you and say, Lord, it's a new day. I'm gonna try hard again. Help me where I struggle. Encourage me. And by the way, I'm sorry in advance for where I mess up today. And every day we have that conversation. Every night we get to end with, thank you, God, for loving me and for forgiving me. Lord, I just want to thank you again for this church, not just the building here, the safe and comfortable and inviting place where we get to gather on Sunday mornings to to dive into your word, to sing songs of praise, to to share prayers and and have fellowship, but but this community church, this, this church around the world of people that seek you, that want to know you better, that would come alongside each other to get us through hard times and to help us understand you better. You know, there's a, a saying that the lonely reader is the confused Christian, something like that. And so we do rely on each other to help us understand these things. That's why you call us together as, as brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage and support one another, to learn alongside of each other and to bring our perspective. So we thank you for the opportunities to gather on Sunday mornings for Bible study and Wednesday evenings and and at other times so we can bring our insight, our story, our witness, our testimony and share that with others. Lord, we accept your challenge this week. We are going to give deep consideration to what you've done for us and how we can share that so that other people can understand you in a way that, that is beyond maybe what we can honestly make sense of ourselves. But we thank you for that challenge. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.